Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with Wigan Warriors head coach, Matthew Pete. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to mention our partnership with clothing company, Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The Northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. People need to own their own development, own their own learning. I think our job is to, to nudge them, to help them have the skills to do that, to sometimes light the fire so that they can see that it's possible. Um, the flip of both of those things just sounds ridiculous to me. Uh, John Fletcher, who is the best coach I know, who've done a lot of, spent a lot of time with, just says, because sometimes we, I hear people say, like, especially in professional sport, oh, he's a bit too kind, he's a bit too soft. And Fletcher's like, how can anyone be too kind? Like, how is that even possible? And then the, the other one is ownership. So if you have players that can't own their own development, that aren't able to show up, that aren't, then why would we, like, why would we think that that's a valuable commodity to have? Um, and I guess what I see is people doing the exact opposite of both of those things quite regularly. From We're excited to welcome Russell Rusty Earnshaw onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Russell is a former professional rugby union player, turned coach, coach educator, and mentor. He's coached across several England national teams and in the professional game, and is currently working with the Magic Academy and has worked across many sports and businesses, including New Zealand Sevens, the FA, the Premier League, Google, GB Hockey, and many more. Hi, Rusty. How are you doing, man? Hey, fellas. Yeah, good, thank you. Great to uh, see you. Uh, excited for this. And uh, I know it's cold in England, but I'm looking at in Canada, and it's pretty cold in Canada. Well, welcome. As always, we have one question that we ask every single guest, and that is to to us, gold dust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does gold dust mean to you? Um, oh, cool. I appreciate the question. We've gone deep early. Um, I, I just think, and I, I guess I say this to a lot of people, like, I just think of coaching as individuals. So I work a lot with teams. If I'm honest, like my bias is much towards coaching teams rather than individuals, but within a team setting, I only see individuals. So for me, Goldust is probably helping individuals help themselves. So uh, how can they be better at learning, growing, coaching themselves? Uh, and then probably the other thing is like, question I'll ask people a lot, I'll ask coaches, I'll ask leaders, I'll ask players, like, but what's going to help you access the next level of your game? So... Um, I think Goldust is that. It's like, and if I give a couple of examples of people that I've been lucky enough to be around, so from a rugby context, a Marcus Smith, from a football context, to Jude Bellingham when he was at Birmingham, the reality is the best players I've seen know what's going to help them access the next level of the game, and they understand how to use coaches to help them 
do that. I think part of our job is to help players and coaches be better at doing those two things. So, yeah, that's my uh, that's my definition of gold dust. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but it's my definition. Well, look, before we delve into the discussion, would you mind just sharing a, a brief introduction, including your sporting background? Yeah, so I always introduce myself. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a I'm a dad. Uh, I'm northern. All of those things have shaped me really. We were talking earlier about you know the stoicism of being northern when it's cold outside. I, I worked really hard when I was young. It was interesting. At seventeen, I knew that I wanted to go to Cambridge Uni uh, to play in a, a varsity match. So that kind of intent, purpose, direction was really helpful for me. Again. I think it's an important part of what we do in coaching. Um, went to uni, played professional sports, was a bit of a journeyman. Didn't really like professional sports, if I'm honest, and that's probably explains some of my views today, really. I didn't like being told what to do, essentially becoming less skillful than I was when I started. Um, not necessarily, you know, having different environments where sometimes you belong, sometimes you didn't, so... Obviously, those experiences have shaped me. I then went on to coach, coached England Sevens, um, which is great fun and brilliant learning experience for seven years with Ben Ryan and culminated in us losing the uh, World Cup final in 2013, which I've yet to watch. Uh, I then was a, a teacher for two years, best CPD I ever did, so taught economics. Um, gave me a real, just better understanding of what young people are experiencing these days and um, it's definitely helped me be a better parent, hopefully. And then since then, I, I got probably what was my dream job with England 18s, England 20s, and then, like many coaches, um, ended up with a terrible terrible boss who got rid of us. And then I guess for the last five and a half years, I've just been working for myself. So with different sports, with business, <clears throat> hard to explain what I do. My daughter says uh, that I'm like Chandler Bing. No one knows what I do. Um, that's a little bit darker given re recent uh, uh, Matthew Perry uh, situation. And then, um, so probably help people think differently, take a step back, be more intentional with what they're doing rather than kind of just sleepwalking through coaching. So that's a point of history, really. I love what I do. I put a really high value on, on working for myself. Other people might be different to me, but... I wish I'd done it earlier in my life. And if I could give myself one gift, it would be the ability to walk to work. So I'm currently in Canada. I'm going to New Zealand after this. When I come back, I do a fair amount of traveling on the road and hanging out with coaches, which I love. But my one gift would be to walk to work. It sounds like you've got an interesting, fulfilling experience in doing what you do. Makes my brain hurt. Um, I learn every day. So I'm really lucky. I think people are often just trapped in their own environments. Expertise is defined by the peer group, so they they might just know what they know. I get to see lots of amazing players, coaches, leaders in action and steal a few things and adapt a few things and maybe help nudge them around a few things. Um, and then at the end of the day, my brain just hurts loads. So I was thinking, actually, I'll go on a tangent already, but I was on the chairlift with a guy and we were talking and I just was thinking there's some stuff that I'm 48 now that you find out about yourself that that is super helpful like who do I want to be under stress I dot 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 I get confidence from dot 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 the stuff that gives me energy is 
I do deep work. You know, how, how I do deep work is like every evening my brain hurts too much to do any work. So I've got to work out how to do deep work. So I think also those are the types of questions I'll often explore with coaches. Like, cool, let's like divide up your week. What's the stuff that gives you energy? What takes it away? How can we, you know, how can we change the balance on that? getting feedback from other people that they might not have normally got feedback from and um, that might often reaffirm that they're doing a good job or that they're being the person they want to be. My experience is sometimes as coaches, we don't know if we're doing a good job. And sometimes people wait till we die or retire to give us that feedback. I don't want to be waiting that long. You've used the word deep a few times here now. What ways have your experiences in sport influenced or shape your beliefs and your perspectives on, on how you now work with people because the the quality of your questions, and that's what's been pretty pretty relevant so far, it's not the question, it's the quality of the question, but equally, is it the question or is it the quality of the listening thereafter? My wife might challenge you on the listening. Uh... I ain't going to challenge you, I trust me. <laughs> I've got my own challenges. Um, yeah, it's a, it a great question. I guess we're all kind of this, you know, we have this biography, don't we? We all arrive from, you know, different experiences. Like the fact that we're Northern probably already connects us on, on, on some level. The fact that we're involved in coaching and we, you know, we want to help other people get better. Suddenly, you know, you get those kind of dopamine hits of, oh, yeah, I, you know, I agree with that or I think like that. Uh, the stuff I think that shaped me is... I just kind of was thinking about that, like like impact by both coaches and environments, both ways. Now, my reality is up until about 1997, it's fairly precise, um, I had some unbelievable coaching experiences, both from individuals and through their environment. So at university, when I played uh, in my club rugby at Stockton and Jeff Hurst, amazing guy and, and my headmaster who said you should go and play rugby and a bit about you know so some people that really had positive impact on my life and also some environments so Cambridge Uni and this probably explains one of my biases the captain is the most important person in the club it's not the coach so the players lead everything I have a bias towards players owning stuff um, I have a bias towards in the kids leading at least part of the lesson in the classroom. I think it's a super important skill for us to develop in young people. And so those experiences definitely made me go, oh, wow, this is. And then and then I played professional sport and I had terrible experiences. I had a head coach tell me, I don't care how well you play, I'm never going to pick you again. Where'd you go from that, apart from swear and walk out of the room? They could, I guess there was other options for me as well. Um, and so I had some poor experiences probably beyond the age of 21, that definitely made me go, okay, I want to be the coach that I probably haven't had during this time period. So the stuff that's important to me are things like love, kindness, helping people belong, helping people understand how they can be more confident about themselves. Not, you know, the, the flip of that, of isolation, of not believing in yourself of unkindness so those are just things that are super important to me and often most environments if i could simplify it down to two things it's probably kindness and kindness isn't like pink and fluffy 
I love my kids. I'm super kind to them, but sometimes that is a really hard conversation and ownership. So people need to own their own development, own their own learning. I think our job is to to nudge them, to help them have the skills to do that, to sometimes light the fire so that they can see that it's possible. The flip of both of those things just sounds ridiculous to me. Uh, John Fletcher, who is the best coach I know, who've done a lot of spent a lot of time with, just says, because sometimes we I hear people say, like especially in professional sport, oh, he's a bit too kind, he's a bit too soft, and Fletcher's like, how can anyone be too kind? Like, how is that even possible? And then the, the other one is ownership. So if we have players that can't own their own development, that aren't able to show up, that aren't, then why would we why would we think that that's a valuable commodity to have? And I guess what I see is people doing the exact opposite of both of those things quite regularly, if I'm honest. So I see, you know, kids being shouted at, kids being controlled, compliance. If you don't do this, then this. Um, not being given the opportunity to lead and own stuff. Um, and I guess that's part of, I guess, how we emerged from an academy point of view. You know, we fundamentally believe that those things are super important. In terms of obviously going from a player and the experiences you had and then you, you went into coaching, what was it that sparked your interest in, in coaching and led you to pursue it as a career? I think it's always easier to join the dots of backwards. So I don't think at, at that point, and I think at 17, I had clarity. I think when I finished playing, and it's fascinating to see so many of my peers or people a bit younger than me struggle with that kind of transition from sports to, you know, let's call it the real life or the real world. Um, I don't think I had that clarity, if I'm honest. And then met some amazing people who've been super helpful to me. So... Kevin Bowring was an unbelievable mentor. Spending time with John Fletcher and Peter Walton really like shaped who I who I am and I guess who I want to be. Um, so I just didn't, I don't think I had that as a, you know, I played and I became a player coach. Probably wasn't that good a player coach. And I did a bit of coaching. It was okay. And then eventually, I think once I got, probably quite late, if I'm honest, uh, probably a few years ago, if I'm honest, where I start to go, okay, like, this is like, had a moment actually when, uh, and I've told him about it, Tom Hartley rang me and he got a job with uh, UK Coaching and I'd helped him a bit in the preparation. And I'm not sure when that was. That might've been 2019. And I remember, and I'm not that good at jumping, physically trying to jump because I was so pleased that he got the job and just that utter elation at the success of someone else. Um, so maybe it was even more recently that I started to go, okay, I'm, this is really like what I want to do in my life. Um, and I guess that might change. Uh, I hope it doesn't because I'm I'm loving what I'm doing at the moment. But I don't think there was a moment and I'm really jealous of people who, you know, just uh, the guy I went skiing with on Sunday was like, when did you know what you wanted to do? And he said, 16, clear as day. Had a teacher that had impact on me. I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool, isn't it? What are some of your guiding principles and core values in doing what you do? Uh, yeah, probably some of the stuff. I mean, I just think kindness is super important. Um, I think, and, and ownership. I, again, they would form a, a big part of what I do. I think, I guess, I have some frameworks that help me. Uh, 
and, and it depends where you want to start, doesn't it? So you might start up really high with, you know, who do you want to be as a human? Uh, I might like talk about what do I measure myself on, which is like hugs in five years' time. So I feel if I see someone and they give me a hug, then I've probably been of help to them. I think we're often measuring the wrong stuff. Leadership coaching is attributed like the experience of the person that's been led or coached is is vital. And so whenever I get a hug, I'm pretty happy. I've had a few hugs in Canada already, and I think I will probably get three more new hugs today. So that'll be a good day for me. And then I guess the other stuff that sits around, I guess how I think is like, I'm just really intentional about trying to be, we use Dan Hughes's model around like the adult behaviors in an environment to get the best out of young people. So playful, loving, accepting, curious, empathetic. So I would try my best as often as possible to be those things. Sometimes I get challenged and, you know, I'm, I'm aware of the stuff that, that challenges me and I, try and have some strategies to to cope with that. And then I guess once that kind of stuff exists, I guess like the environment for me is the most important thing. And my behaviours within that environment are clearly vital. Then, then I think I've got some pretty helpful frameworks for me around my coaching. So back with England, we use cards, so creativity, awareness, resilience, decision-making, self-organising. And again, I think those are the skills that we want to develop in young people. So... Self-organizing might be a little bit like ownership. Creativity is solutions to problems. If we have players that can only do certain things, then they're not going to be able to solve the problems of the game. So those kind of frameworks just help guide my coaching, if I'm honest. And if I give you an example, so if you if I think C stands for creativity, which is solutions to problems, but someone else thinks it stands for conformity, then their coaching will look completely different. But without that clarity above on what it is that I'm going after, then I can't really choose how I'm going to behave. And ultimately, when I do coach, so go down the next level, like I control practice design and coach behaviours. So if creativity is important, then I use practices that set problems for the opposition. So in a team context, I probably give information to one team that I don't give to another. So suddenly they're playing poker, not chess. So they've got to work out what the opponent's doing. My coach behaviours would be completely different, wouldn't they? Because if it was C for conformity, I would be going, Keith, what the hell are you doing? Do what I tell you, for God's sake. Like, stand there, don't you know? Versus if if it was creativity, I might be thinking about, okay, what are our options here? What could we think of, you know, what could we do? Okay, what if what if the score was 2-1 instead of 2-0? Would it be any different? Would we make a different decision? So I guess start up from who I want to be. What do I measure myself on? I then have some stuff around environment that's really important to me. And then have some higher order skills, the card skills. And then the stuff that sits beneath that is coaching. And the reason I guess I explain that to people is like when people watch people coach, they probably don't see that this stuff at the top. Who do they want to be as a human? What's important to them? And sometimes they just don't have that stuff, which is even more stressful for me. So if I go into an environment and go, okay, like everyone just independently write down, like what are our frameworks that guide how we behave as coaches? Don't copy, don't look at anyone else. And people are like looking around the room confused. Then to me, that's very problematic. And it's very common, if I'm honest. So we get this one coach who's off on their own doing stuff in a, you know, trying to win games at the cost of player development, getting rid of the worst players and, 
And in another place, we've you know, in the same club, we've got someone behaving differently, and they just can't even have an argument because there's no shared reference point. So I guess it depends where you, how deep you want to go with that stuff. I think I then, so the other stuff that's super important to me is the game of the future, the skills of the future. What are we going to need? You know, we look back on football, we look back on rugby from years ago, and we go, actually, like, okay, you need to be miles better off the ball than you used to be. Okay, there's there's some, you know, some players who are able to use deception really well. There's some people who are like, unbelievable at scanning. So I think there's some stuff as coaches were, were missing out on coaching quite a lot. In rugby, I don't know about in football, mainly because we love coaching formations, because it's easy to tell people where to stand, to not talk about what to look for to help them make decisions, to sometimes slash often train unopposed, which is ridiculous in my point of view. A, a couple of so if I think D of cards is decision-making, then I, will, I can't see that many opportunities I would take to coach on a post because decision-making requires an opponent. The second thing is decision-making requires score and time. So if I'm truly going to coach decision-making, there needs to be an opponent, a score and a time. Just, for, just as very basic stuff. I very rarely see those three together really explicitly, like two minutes left. It's, you know, you're one nil down. This is, you know, and, and and perhaps the opponent's playing in a way different to the way we normally play. I don't see high percentage of training that looks like that. So again, go back to, up to the top. If I think decision-making is important, they're there. If you don't think decision-making is important, then that's cool. Um, so pretty early on with coaches, I'll try and understand like what are their what are frames of reference are they using to help them make decisions as coaches. We're going on to subject or onto a subject that's near and dear. You know, I can't make decisions. I'm not very good at it. Well, unfortunately, you've just made a decision then not to make a decision anyway. At this point in time, it may not possibly it may not be the most efficient decision to be made, both for yourself and the collective. So, you know, to your point around practice design, having score, having time to actually help develop decision-making, practice design related to age, experience, where they are in the development, all that type of thing. Listen, it's, that's what makes it so fascinating, this stuff, because <laughs> there isn't one that fits all. It's... It's down to the ability of the person of sitting in silence and observing and having, having the ability to say very little. And then when they do speak, it's worthwhile listening to. Yeah, there's a couple of things there just to build on. One is I think noticing is the most important skill in coaching. So your ability to notice. My sessions would look very if, if I drew a timeline of my sessions over time, it would it would have started out with loads of different sessions, spending lots of time Googling for sessions. Um probably like I've I've taken it a bit too far from the game. Um, not coaching individuals. Probably where I'm at at the moment, and I'm definitely not at the end, is a smaller number of games that I know have high impact and then I can adapt numbers, size, scoring system, 
my coaching skills, but with a real emphasis on individuals. And I'm very serious about, for two reasons. One is continued participation in the game. And the second one is I want players to like do as well as they can. I'm very serious about developing skillful players. The reason that the big kids in rugby drop out, 16, 17, 18, is the other kids catch up with them. We haven't helped them be skillful. We haven't helped them help themselves to get to the next level. At the next level, they're going to have to pass and kick. And we were just letting them get away with doing their two times table when they needed to learn their five times table. Then the other thing I'm very into is kind of shared decision-making as well. So like, what's the problem the opposition is setting us or what problem do we want to set them and how are we going to collectively do that? So we're, you know, we're two nil down. They're playing, uh, they're parking the bus against us. There's eight minutes left. How do we play the game differently? Do we take our goalkeeper off and play with an extra forward, which happens a lot in hockey? And so those setting setting really good problems in training that then they're able to like see, so work it out. So actually I haven't told them, but David's team are now high pressing. So cool, someone got to see that. They then got to share it. Like we got to go, hang on, like they're high pressing against us and then we got to solve the problem. Um, so my sessions would have an individual slant on them in my world, I value interactions from them to me more than me to them. So they would turn up and if I've shared the session in advance, they would probably be able to go, Rusty, I've set myself a bit of a challenge for today's session. It's that I get, I want to get eight intercepts in defense and in attack, I want to, you know, I want to penetrate the line three times. I'm trying to be like football chat and failing badly. So players would come to me with individual challenges and I would then have a session set up that would allow them to put those you know, one of their challenges might be, I want to see the problem three times and share it with my teammates, Rusty. So I would design a lot of sessions around problem solving. Because again, where do I see the game going? Certainly in rugby, there's, you know, people are playing with a bit more tactical difference. Um, sometimes people are tactically adapting within a game. Uh, Danny Newcomb, who's Wales hockey, they used to tactically adapt the five minutes before half time, play differently, so they might go from a man-on-man -man marking system to a zonal. So the opposition speak about the zonal at half time, and then they go back to the man-on. So I think teams are conducting a little bit more tactical warfare than they used to. So seeing that that might be something that's even more important in the future, um, like that's a big uh, component in my practice design as well. Well, Rusty, you've got a, you've got a company called the Magic Academy now. And one of your missions is to help coaches create better experiences for themselves and for the players. How do you go about creating those experiences? Um, sorry, I'm just writing down what I do. I appreciate you telling me. Um, uh, I actually think that better experiences for themselves is a really important thing. I see a lot of coaches that look and and I'm, you know, I spent three weeks on a drip. I can't remember what year it was from being overworked, too stressed. Like there's a real wake up call for me to go, right, what's, what's important? What gives you energy? What takes it away? What's, what's good for your soul? What's not good for your soul? And again, I see lots of coaches and leaders that are having a tough time, either 
through workload or imposter syndrome or lack of confidence or, you know, their interactions with other humans that just aren't helpful for them. So I think we need to put our own oxygen mask on first. So I'm often helping coaches just think differently about how they prepare their week, how they think about their, themselves and performance rather than just the players and performance. So that, for me, is always the start point. And then after that, it's it's probably leaning into what you said, David, around I've had some good experiences, I've had some less good experiences. Now, I'm not stupid. Sometimes we have experiences that we, like, for me, there's a, there's a wants and a needs. So sometimes we need to create experiences that might not feel good at the time, but in the long run is the right experience or the or a helpful experience for someone. So I guess just to help coaches, and I always think about it as options, just to give coaches more options to create experiences for, for individuals, for players. So the more options we have, the more we can make better decisions. So I guess I'm often going, oh, have you thought about this? What about this? Instead of doing that, are there any other ways you could have thought about doing that feedback? I know you're standing there, but if you could stand in, there's two other positions that you could have stood in for this bit. Where would those two positions be? What would be the impact of that? So just getting people to be more intentional and also noticing. So, you know, what are the things we need to notice? Like things I love noticing are like when the session ends, how long is it till the players leave the pitch? Like if they rush off to get in the cars, they might be different to they want to hang around with their mates. We might have created an amazing environment. I've been, uh, a few of the coaches I work with, I'll be saying, try and stop the session 10 minutes early and see the reaction of the players. If they say, no, 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 just just, just one more game, Keith, one more game, Keith, then you've probably got them hooked at this point. If they go, yeah, yeah, thanks, Keith, see you later, then you probably haven't got them hooked. And of course, like all of this involves us like getting feedback, interacting with, co-creating stuff with the kids. So actually like for us to assume we know all the stuff that is going to be helpful for them and and, and they're going to enjoy is, is ridiculous, quite frankly. So again, I would have a, a, some questions I would ask a lot, you know. If there's one thing I could do differently in this session, what would it be? If you could share one thing that would help me coach you better, what would it be? Take to, you know, to here's today's session plan, kids. You got you got to make it better in four different ways. You got to take one thing away from it that's going to make it like. And when I'm in sessions, you know, tell me about the next level of this practice. So we've we've we scored two goals now. Like the blue team, like what's the next level? How do we make this harder for you, or or, as, or for individuals? David, like you've achieved that challenge. Like what would what would be the next kind of level of challenge that would help you move forward as a player? So for me, the players are so involved in all of this stuff. I'm probably constantly checking in with and We had um, we just did a thing at St. George's Park and one of the challenges for the coaches was if Carlsberg did five minutes and four seconds and the challenge was, I'm going to give you five minutes and four seconds to have a bit of a kick around with the players who you've never met before, before you do the session. And then after five minutes and four seconds, I'm going to ask the players whether that experience, they think that five minutes is helped them. It's going to help them have an amazing session and the coaches to get the best out of them. And so I'm always like, where are these moments to interact with coaches, to interact with players, sometimes to interact with parents, to diffuse the bomb, um, to make sure that the kids are having the best experiences possible. Because of course the parents are the kind of last bit of this triangle, aren't they? It's, it's us, it's the players and it's the parents. And, Sometimes, like, 
if we don't signpost to the parents, if we don't give them clarity, if we don't nudge them towards something and go, just so at the end of, you know, parents, at the end of training, I'm going to ask three of you to give feedback to two different kids that aren't your kid on something you saw them do that you thought was pretty awesome. Then suddenly we've directed their attention to probably something that's a bit more helpful than them counting all the mistakes. So I just, yeah, for me, all of this is just like a, organic situation organic situation i'm constantly like stealing ideas off other people i'm watching other people and what they do around this i'm going okay i could take that i could adjust it slightly a great example is um i'll often do i love peer-to-peer i put really high value on it i'll go cool point to the player who so I'll go, i just want everyone there's no opt-out on this i want you to point to the player who's been the best teammate today or the player who's challenged you the most today and is going to help you get better and then my uh, the coach, one of the coaches at St. George's Park, did. he said, okay, I've just, okay, everyone, you've got two fist bumps. You need to use them really well. Um, you need to go and give two fist bumps to the players, one to the player that's been the best teammate and one to the player that's coached you the best today. And maybe one more to the person who you think's probably a little bit underrated today. It's gone under the radar, but it's done some great stuff that people might not have noticed. And again, I'm just constantly adapting and other people are adapting my stuff to help me create helpful experiences for people. That in itself, like a player, okay, oh, Keith, you pointed to David. Like, why did you point to David? Oh, this, this, this. I'm often thinking, I didn't notice that. Like, so those the players being my eyes around this experience is super important to me as well. I can understand why your head's constantly hurting <laughs> yeah, it's busy because the when you get one question, it'll fire off a response somewhere else and then it'll evoke something different. I think uh, the challenges, by the way, I'm, I'm all over this type of stuff, but I think the challenges are when do you stop and where's it going? Because it's, of course, very important to have Clarity around what outcomes you're aiming to achieve. Now, just on that, to develop further the, the question that I have around this type of stuff, what, what aspects of of sports, and I, and I mentioned sports, you know, we're football, we're hockey, we're rugby, we're team sports. What aspects of, of sports do you think coaches tend to overlook? Yeah, if I can just... Um... Let me just build on what you just said about the, I think sessions should be questions. So how can we psychologically stay on top? How can we park the bus for six minutes when one nil up? Um, how can we set traps for our opponents defensively? So I guess that's how I do my session objectives. But within that, there's then individual stuff. So that's where the you know, players having individual missions or, challenges then that's how that all fits together I, I just don't think you know you can have a, a curriculum that is one size fits all just because you need to do your two times table uh, Kevin doesn't mean David does or I do I might need to learn my one times table or my seven times table or you know so I, I just think of stuff as individuals and then probably just to create a bit of like clarity in the fog and I'll come back to your question so we control two things, practice design and coach behavior. What I tend to do is link my coach behaviors to my practice design. 
So if I'm coaching an individual, which I hate, I'm not that excited about coaching individual one-on-one, although people make lots of good money out doing it. And it's like, it's, it's, it's cool. I do get it. It doesn't just doesn't give me the buzz of a team stuff. Then I'm likely to use a scoring system because it'll give them feedback. I'm likely to use analogies because like, I'll tell me like, when you do that really well, how does it feel? Uh, one kid in hockey said to me, oh, it feels like I'm sitting on the toilet when I do an aerial rusty. So that analogy is a helpful analogy for them to, to think about when they're, when they're doing um, aerials. If I'm playing a small-sided game, I might be, I might do a few more replays. Okay, let's just replay that moment again. What would you do differently? Um, I'm probably likely to use a scoring system there as well. Um, and then when I go to a bigger game, I'm likely to be have a second ball and go, cool, ignore that ball, let's use this one and give it to certain players. Or I'm much more likely to do a freeze. Okay, no one move. Everyone close your eyes. Point to the in rugby like point to where the fullback is. Cool. Put your hand in the air if you don't know where the fullback is. Okay, cool. Open your eyes. So we do some shared picture stuff. So I associate my coaching skills with practice design and what I'm likely to do. So that's probably how I give clarity. Um, The other question you asked about what do coaches overlook? Development, (laughs) if I'm brutally honest. Individuals, if I'm brutally honest, like it's this homogenous mass. And And I completely understand it because... When I started coaching, that's not how I was thinking. But like, um, I guess I'm trying to help. Like, there's some of the stuff I wish I'd had then, like a whiteboard next to the pitch where everyone writes down a challenge, and it's their goal to come and speak to me if they need any help in that challenge. Well, that's just changed my life. I can have rest assured I don't have to get around all 40 players, and because they're already doing it. And of course, I, my gift as a coach is to is to go. Oh, hang on, that's a bit easy. Or oh, hang on, that's a bit hard. Or um, I really like Saracen's language. They talk a lot about in rugby, the the little big things. So little things that make a big difference. So in rugby, that is things like, like a tackle is um, in, t- in a game of touch, like a one-handed touch isn't a tackle because it's just developing a really bad habit. In football, first touch is vital, isn't it? Same as hockey. Like we might have a hundred options and the first Rusty gets his first touch and I've, I've I've got two club feet and I've gone from a hundred to one because of my first touch. So like helping players pay more attention to their first touch. So I work with a coach through ECAS at the moment and and he was um he was just getting the kids to be more aware of it. So he's called Gary. And every time the kid did a first touch, they'd either shout out Gaza or Gary. Gaza meant it was a cool first touch. Gary meant it was terrible. But just to help them become more aware of it and pay their attention to it. Um, I think belonging. Sports are a really weird thing, isn't it? You compare it to business, you can get judged most weekends. If you're not playing, you get judged. If you lose, you might get judged. And so how you belong and feel connected in those type of environments is tough. Like my kids, I'm watching both my kids go through you know, children's sport and being selected and deselected and winning and losing and all that stuff is really helpful to, for us to help them make sense of that. So that's why I think belonging is so important. And for me, the probably the the quickest, easiest way to do belonging is to do lots of peer-to-peer feedback um, and, and, and for people to value why they're there. So 
I'm about to go meet Kate Richardson Wall. She played in the 2016 when the girls won the gold in Rio. And one of the things they speak about is every person that entered their environment, the first thing we did was tell them why we loved them being in this environment. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And some people are, I work with lots of people who go, I'm not sure this environment wants me, Rusty. Um, you know, I had a coach who told me, I don't care how well you play, I'm never picking you. Like, well, there we go. Like, that's the end of that, isn't it? Quite frankly. Um, I think mindset is something that I think we could be better at, like signposting it. Today's session is going to be really tough. There's going to be some challenging problems. It looks like most of you have set yourselves, you know, spicy challenges. So, like, tell me what kind of mindset is going to be helpful today. Show me what that mindset would look like. Show me what it wouldn't look like. Um, and then I'm a big fan of Paul McGuinness. So he came and watched uh, me coach him in rugby the other day, which I loved. I've, I definitely felt under pressure. And so his stuff around deception and anticipation and, again, uh, the things that we're often not, you know, we're, we're seeing a player receive a pass, but what we've missed is the three seconds before and what they did and where they stood and how they shaped their body perhaps just dipping this way slightly to to make the defender think I was going this way. Um, I had a, uh, I was speaking to a football coach the other day and he, 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 one of their players, he said he didn't scan. The ball came towards him. The defender jumped onto him and he just uh, flicked the ball through his legs and went past him. And, and, and the coach was like, like, but you didn't scan. How did you, he went, no, 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 I, I did scan, but I was pretending not to scan so that he would jump on me. So I'd be able to go past him. So that kind of deception. And I love Paul McGuinness has got some amazing language around, you know, the, the arrogance of timing and being matadors and assassins. And, you know, I just, I just think there's some, uh, again, it's, it, it ties back to my stuff, like skillful, adaptable players. Super important. When you're, Looking through the lens of an experience, so you look through the lens of an experienced coach. What, in your opinion, makes the difference that makes a difference in a team's development? Um, so again, I'll go, to, I'll, I'll try and do it in football. So, 4 4 2, we're going to play 4 4 2. Okay, cool. Well, like, for the whole game, what was your like? What was your second choice? What was your third choice? Often people are just in copying other people's formation. And then there's another piece to this question, which is like, what are the formations of the future? What are the positions of the future? What are people going to do in the future defensively that causes problems for attacks? And a, and a really good example from Belgium hockey, who two years before everyone else changed their how they defended. And they weren't the best team in the world, but they won the Europeans, the Worlds, and the Olympics. And they were the team that had first mover advantage. So... I think also the coaches that are thinking ahead, and I love the phrase tactical warfare, that are going to go and impose tactical warfare on their opponents uh, are, are the ones that are going to have some have some pretty cool stuff happen for. I think this, the other stuff that I think the individuals are the system in a team. So I would build a system around individuals. So if Russell Earnshaw played centre mid uh, versus Lionel Messi, we wouldn't be able to play the same way. However, we often do go, well, we're going to play 4-4-2. This team plays 4-4-2 and we're going to put it all the way down through our academy. So from the age of 12, like our kids are going to play 4-4. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous because we're not even thinking about the game of the future. And the reality is, 
it's 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 based upon individuals. It needs to be based upon individual strengths. So the coaches, I think, that are doing development and and and, and like winning, uh, quite frankly, better than anyone else, are doing um, are doing it that way. They're going, okay, what are the strengths of the people? Okay, how can we combine David with Keith to like create problems for our opponents? How can we do this with these players to to achieve this? And then. I guess what I'm also hearing from lots of the best teams, the Saracens in England, the Crusaders in Super Rugby, is that those coaches are often really great storytellers. They're really good at like uniting teams through a story uh, about who we are, where we've come from, what we're going to do. And I've been lucky enough to sit in some Saracens meeting that have given me goosebumps. And I'm not even part of like that story, but I can can see the impact that it's having on people, both from a emotional and a connection point of view, but also from a chunking information together point of view. So, you know, it might be that our runners off nine are called jabs and our runners off 10 are called hooks and our theme is around Muhammad Ali and, you know, the rumble in the jungle and the leading up to it. And then suddenly we can, we can unite people. So I guess that's a, again, it's a skill that, Again, same as I'm talking about with players, there's some skills, isn't there, that coaches are the coach of the future is going to need to be even better at. Uh, I think storytelling is one of them. And like the players that people call mavericks and are uncoachable and all those types of ridiculous words, like they're just able to get the best out of those players. Um, it's not on many courses, is it? Should probably be something we should be speaking a little bit more about. Definitely not coached anyway. I think it's, they're out there. I've been fortunate, like yourself, to come across people like that who are, they transport you. you know, I remember a good friend of mine who passed. He came up with uh, Academy Director courses in the for the, for the English FA, FIFA tutor, Pro license coach developer, just phenomenal. I, I remember being at Lillyshaw on a, an academy manager's course that he was delivering, and he started talking about the Panzer Division during the war, the German tanks, and being able to defend against that. But it's how he spun and took us on our journey. It evoked an interest. It was information that you could very closely relate to and link, just primarily down to the quality of the word and being able to draw you in and just tease you a little bit. I appreciate you showing your age by uh, talking about Lillyshaw rather than St. George's Park, Keith. Um, and, and I guess... Um... It was one of our challenges at SGP the other day was to create an out of possession story, and the kids, some of the kids, were taking part in this thing, and they were, they were wild tigers that had escaped from the zoo, and they were hunting down their opponents and trying to trap them in the corner and maul them. And uh, so the question I ask a lot is, can people see your language? So you know, when I start talking about trap, squeeze, suffocate, pounce. Uh, when you start to talk about the Panzer Division, I imagine like how they're moving together collectively, and you know this this just force that's moving forward all the time, and then people can see your language. Um, sometimes as coaches, we we 
we use language that people can't see. And then we go, but I told them so. And and then we and we don't look back at ourselves and go, maybe it's how we, you know, maybe I should be telling a story here. Just shifting on slightly, when you know when you this thing's bespoke, this thing, whatever it is, coaching, developing, mentoring, guiding, curing, you know, I think there's a title to it, we put words to it, coach. Uh, and I'm still not sure what there is because I think as many coaches there are on the planet, pretty much everyone will have a slightly different definition. But when you go into their environment, what are the things you look, what specific things are you looking out for? Yeah, uh, I again appreciate I can see your language. I'm usually asking permission for the lump hammer. I'm probably not getting it out straight away. Uh, although again, isn't there? There's this tension of like you go into environments, and sometimes they'll um, they'll kind of expect you to do something quickly, and and again, some of this stuff would take a little bit more time. Um, so I guess I'm always kind of wrestling with that dilemma. I think I'm just generally like asking questions, trying to understand like if if there's a gap between what they're saying they're doing and what they are doing. I started just uh, when I'm giving feedback to coaches, just going uh, calling it a litmus test. So my litmus test is what I want my kids to be in this environment, and that's not big or fluffy. And I've just started writing down three words that would have been my three words to describe your environment, my experience of it. And they might be aligned with your words and your values and stuff, but they're just the three words that that come to mind from my experience of being there. Uh, then I think it's, you know, if I give you a couple of examples of how I would do it. One is... Might be like, so example, when I first went to Rangers, it was, you know, do you want mild, medium or spicy? So I would ask permission <clears throat> about how deep we want to go with this stuff. With England, I just design questions. So things like share one thing with the coaches that will help them work even better with you. If you could add two things to session planning and take one thing away, what would it be? What was your best interaction with the player today and how do you know? So I asked some questions that I thought were pertinent and then everyone chose two each. And so they were then, you know, again, I get an insight into the questions they pick and what they don't pick and what they're avoiding. I think I'm quite good at designing questions to help us think. The one they rarely pick is share one thing with you, the coaches that will help them work better with you. And I think it's the most important one because sometimes we haven't told this person that what you're doing is really annoying me and actually making me not feel that great about myself. And therefore what you see on the pitch is a reflection of that. So my preference is to kind of co-create stuff. I might get them to design some questions they want to ask as well. And then just start off with that, really. I'm just over to go and work with the Hurricanes in Super Rugby. And we, did, we decided upon four areas we wanted to get better at. I designed some questions around those areas. And then I got the coaches to rank them, one, two, three, and four, which ones you think are the most important. And then we're going to go get them for a week next week, which would be pretty cool. I think there's a bit of wants and needs Sometimes people want this, but actually what they need is this. That's often where permission comes in. And then I think you, for me, it's just working out what's going to make the biggest difference. What's going to be the biggest bang for your buck? So with Oynac in France, we've been doing quite a bit of work with a rugby team. Like One of our big themes is transfer. How are we going to make sure that what we're doing in training is transferring to the pitch? And so we've done some pretty cool stuff around that. Um Another one has been individual player development. They felt like they were doing team stuff and now their players are 
we've gamified their individual development. And what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing individual players get better. Oh, amazing, eh? Uh, I think sometimes in, in performance environments, people think that that kind of stops. With New Zealand Sevens, it was more around like things like problem solving. So we had to look at what the players were doing when the ball was out of play. We had to look at the quality of our half times. We had to look at the quality of the look of our practice design. Was it setting problems that they were going to encounter in games that they were going to have to solve themselves? So I think it's different to different environments. In other ones, it's co-coaching. So it's actually how do we work together more effectively on the pitch so that it's not just rusty coaching and David and Keith are doing key UBs. I guess I've got a, a menu of options of what it could be. I tend to go in, I like quite going in quite blank without any kind of preconceptions or judgments and just being able to like observe and notice and go, oh, that's interesting and and there's just things I notice, and I'm I'm just curious, really. So, really interesting one in, fo in football. I had a great debate with this actually. I thought this was quite interesting one with uh, with a coach at uh, Brighton, and uh, I love watching what the goalkeepers do when they come over from their own individual sessions and then join the team session because that's quite an important moment, isn't it? If I think belonging is important and connection, then how those players are greeted. What time do you call this? Get a white bib on, get in goal, versus. Oh, tell me the stuff you've been working on. Oh, cool. We can change the scoring system in the game to challenge you on that. Do you think that would be helpful? Like, so we have options, don't we, as coaches? So I guess I'm just pretty interested in humans. Um, I did economics at uni. I love behavioral economics. I'm really interested in like how we can nudge people and point them towards doing things slightly differently and behavioral change. And I guess the more environments that go in, the more stuff I see, the more options I have to then be able to go okay well why don't we why don't we try this what well, something I did uh um so I here's another example so at St George's Park last week I noticed pretty quickly that where the coaches were standing was having a huge impact upon their interactions so what they saw who they spoke to and and how that worked so I said to them right you've got five cones you're only allowed to stand on one of the five cones you need to place down five cones in the practice on where you're going to stand and tell me why. And then we can get into a discussion around, like, actually, David, like, give me a reason why you might move this cone. Like, what might change that would make... Again, I just wanted to make the coaches more aware and intentional around where they stand and why. Because for me, it was the biggest bang for the buck. If I'm always stood in a feeding position, feeding the ball in, that's cool. I, I get to control, like, who gets the ball quality of delivery, all that type of stuff. But I might be missing interactions with the goalkeeper. I might be missing just being near the person over here to hear what their language they're saying or the person over here who's working on their first touch. And actually, I just want to be a little bit closer to see what they're doing before they get the ball to see what impact is having on their first touch. So I guess I'm good at noticing. Um, I'm pretty good at then creating challenges, like the five-cone thing, to make people more aware of like the stuff they're doing, and I guess the the benefits and the costs of it all, because that's what it is. I mean, we've just got dilemmas all the time as coaches, don't we? And one of them is where we stand. That is a dilemma, but that is a really important dilemma to consider because it has huge implications for everything else. You know, again, the goal. I'm, I'm, I ask the goalies like, which coaches interact with you most? Oh, this one, this one. Called, which outfield coaches interact with you the most? And they don't interact with us that much. Cool. Yeah, it's because of where they're standing, isn't it? They rarely stood next to the goalkeepers. Interesting. You know, you can watch 
that's for the subject matter, the content. You can watch the game from the halfway line. And go watch behind the goal. Still watching the same game. But you're actually seeing something different. So it's similar, but it's completely different because of, the, because of perspective. Well, even if you think about junior rugby, if you stand on the side of the pitch near the parents, it's actually a different emotional experience to standing. Now, if you stand at the end, your team is defending, you will be there when everything goes wrong for them. Oh, my God. We just, you, know, you stand at the end of which they're scoring, and you probably get to see some cool stuff. You might get some high fives. You see how they react when things are going well for them and, you know, who who's, who gives feedback to other people. So, you know, just those three positions will almost give you almost like a different emotional experience as well, potentially. So you're going observing, you're coming up with some, you know, some ideas. What lets you know you're getting it right in doing exactly that? Yeah, and again, I guess uh, language for me, like, a, you know, a hypothesis and an experiment and why don't we give this a go for a, a week and just see what the impact is. And I'm not, like, forming a a six-year plan, you know, with people. I'm kind of trying to just nudge them and what's the most helpful thing now. Um, feedback, really, would probably be my number one thing. Oh, my God, we did this and, it, you know, it worked. So we had a meeting yesterday in the school. I talked about some questions you can ask some people you're working with. One lady went away and asked questions and then was like, oh, my God, like, that was so helpful. Like, so, you know, just, I guess that really, like, as I said, hugs, people, like, reaching out. It's interesting. Again, it sometimes takes time, doesn't it? So Matt Peters at Wigan Warriors, I had a Zoom with him the other week, and he said, oh, Rusty, I just want to, and I don't think I've ever told you this, Rusty, but I saw you deliver a few years ago and this, and it had a huge impact on me. And I was like, man, why didn't you tell me? Like, I did, you know, that would have been amazing for me to hear. So sometimes you hear it third hand, sometimes you hear it a little bit later than you hope. I'm pretty good when I'm working with coaches and getting feedback for them. I usually do it third hand, so I'll be like, oh, Keith, mate, I was chatting to David earlier, who's saying some pretty you know some pretty awesome stuff about you you might want to touch base with them so i'm i'm pretty good at because I, I just understand that coaching is tough like it's often especially if you're a head coach it's quite a lonely place to be and you know people don't necessarily give you the feedback that that you need so for me yeah just yeah i, I mean i guess I, I guess i hear back relatively uh, often from people and, and that's pretty helpful for me Final question for you, Rusty, but just going off the back of that as well, in terms of learning and so on and so forth, how do you how do you stay updated with the latest trends and developments in coaching? I guess I'm always trying to be one step ahead anyway, so I'm curious. I definitely don't think I'm at the top of the mountain, so I've sometimes like able to think. The beauty of going into other environments, you are a novice. So I go into a you know, a, a Premier League football environment, and I am a novice. I kind of understand coaching, but I don't understand their environment. I don't understand as much about football. So I'm probably going to ask some stupid questions along the way. And then I guess I'm always like, so, okay, like storytelling or uh, video game design approach, or what's the stuff that, uh, you know, I just hear little glimmers of, or I've, you know, then I go, right, I'm going to go and interrogate that, going to see how I can add to that to me. And And then the other thing is like, like we're doing now, like, although I've been poor at it recently, but doing a podcast. Imagine how much stuff we've all learned from other people on our podcast. I'm like, I would recommend it to anyone. I've had, let's say it's 250, probably 300 hours worth of CBD with some of the greatest minds on the planet in coaching. 
for free, like one on one, it's ridiculous. Such an easy thing to do to you know to set up something like that, and uh, yeah, that's been really like super impactful for me doing that as as I'm sure it has for you guys as well. Without shadow of a doubt, there's been again different but similar. It's just perspective and. You know, when we put syntax of words, the letters together, and then they come out as a sequence. And then they spin into all sorts of sentences that we then shape and characterize and then take somebody on their journey, but equally come through creative minds, which is what you you definitely got. And, uh, and I like breaking the rules. Sorry. So I do like breaking the rules. If you try and make me conform, I will break the rules. And so someone's got to break the rules. You know, like Flosbury broke the rules, didn't they? The Belgian hockey team broke the rules. Like teams are breaking the rules on how the game is played or how coaching happens. And I'm always trying to break the rules. Well, continue. <laughs> I just think creative minds actually help share this conformity and we need more of it so listen mate i i've uh i've taken so much from this i thank you ever so much for for agreeing to come on definitely from our perspective as you've rightly already mentioned and from a selfish perspective these podcasts as we spoke about in the past haven't we where we go i think i know a little bit i feel inadequate afterwards because of who we bring on, it's special, it's magical. And, I, and so I thank you on behalf of myself and David. I'm going to ask you a question that you can or you may not want to, but if people wanted to reach out to you, how can you be contactable? Yeah, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. If you, uh, uh, I think I'm at Russell Earnshaw on Twitter. Um, and then on email, I think I'm rusty at the magicacademy.co.uk. I'll generally get back in touch with people. Like, I think it's amazing and well done you two on the great work you're doing. I almost think, also think COVID like had some great stuff. We just allowed us to connect a bit more and suddenly coaches that all of us dreamed of speaking to, we got to speak to, which was pretty exciting. And and, and, and I see that continuing. And, you know, the, the fact that I, as a, someone from rugby originally can go and spend time working in football shows that, People are just becoming more and more open to new options. And so, uh, yeah, keep up the great work, fellas. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated. And it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.